Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Do you believe in God? It's interesting that such a simple question should provoke such suburban awkwardness. We can, it seems, talk about almost anything except God. We can talk about sex. Sometimes it seems like we talk about nothing else. Uh, We can talk about politics. So blame Brexit and Trump. And death. Well, for once, celebrities have actually made us think. Uh, 2016 was a reminder that neither talent nor fame nor wealth can prevent the inevitable. But talk about God, and it's as awkward as telling someone that you, you're not committed to recycling or that you haven't kept up to date with your equality and diversity training or maybe that you think Jamie Oliver, the patron saint of healthy eating, is in fact wrong and turkey twizzlers really are delicious. As Alistair Campbell famously put it, Campbell, t- uh, Tony Blair's press guy said, we don't do God. It's true for many people, and yet our reluctance to discuss the God question is surprising, I think, for a number of reasons. Firstly, it's surprising because belief in God is hardly a minority position, either historically or globally. I mean, just take Christianity. Last Sunday, there were more Christians attending church in communist China than in so-called Christian Europe. Or on the basis of current rates of growth, there will be over 170 million Christians in East Asia by 2020. And whereas in 1920, there were only 12 million Christians in Africa, or around 9% of the population, on the basis of current growth, there will number around 630 million by 2020, which is almost 50% of the population. Now, even non-Christian writers like uh, Professor John Gray acknowledge the growth of religion and the decline of secularism. As he puts it, what we see today is a huge expansion of traditional religion. Atheism, he says, is a media phenomenon. A number of years ago, I had an interesting invitation to uh, give a couple of lectures in the former Soviet Union and uh, not a place I'd visited, and I uh, gave a couple of lectures in western Siberia, a place called Novosibirsk and uh, another city called Kemerovo. And uh, the title of one of the lectures that I gave was uh, Christianity and the Provision of Healthcare in a Capitalist Society. Not the most gripping of titles, uh, but that's what I gave a lecture on. Um, And interestingly, a couple of the guys who were lecturers at the university cancelled their lectures and instructed, encouraged their students to come along. And they did. And what was striking to me was that their questions had nothing to do with capitalism and nothing to do with healthcare and everything to do with Christianity. Interesting. Now, our reluctance to discuss the God question is is surprising. Given that belief in God is not a minority position, either globally or historically, Secondly, I think it's surprising because belief in God is hardly an intellectually indefensible position, despite what some people in the media would claim. Now, you could illustrate the point with reference to almost any academic discipline, but we'll take science because for many people it's the market leader when it comes to making sense of life. 
And yet the history of scientists with some sort of religious faith, some belief that God is really there, reads like a who's who of scientific celebrities. Uh, Kepler, astronomy, Pascal, hydrostatics, Boyle, chemistry, Newton, calculus, Faraday, electromagnetics, Kelvin, thermodynamics, Lister, antiseptic surgery. And contemporary scientists? Well, they're not as visible in the media, but they're there, very definitely. As the non-Christian scientist Professor Stephen Jay Gould put it a few years back, unless at least half of my colleagues are dunces, there can be on the most raw and empirical grounds no conflict between science and religion. It's surprising, that reluctance, that awkwardness to do the God question, because belief in God, it's not a minority position. It's hardly intellectually indefensible a position. And thirdly, it's hardly an uninfluential position. Again, you could pick multiple different areas of life, but we'll just take three. Art, law, democracy. A number of years ago as a family, we were in London, and we visited one or two galleries, including the National Gallery. One of the things I was struck with when we came out was, if you were to take Jesus Christ out of history how little would be left in the gallery. Because so much of the artwork that was in the gallery was either a reflection on, or a reaction to, or shaped by the person of Jesus Christ. What about law? It's fascinating when you see that the law system that we have is founded on a Judeo-Christian framework. Now here's the non-Christian French philosopher Jacques Derrida. He put it like this. Today, the cornerstone of international law is the sacred. The sacredness of man as your neighbor, made by God. The fact that he doesn't actually believe God is really there doesn't change the fact that historically law has been shaped by Christian faith. Well, what about democracy? Just read an interesting book by Solari Seidentop, the political philosopher, and he argues in his most recent book that the foundations of Western liberal democracy rest on, as he puts it, quote, the moral assumptions provided by Christianity. Very striking. And the book got a fantastic review in The Guardian of all places, which is hardly sympathetic to Christianity. And yet if we find the God question to difficult, difficult to discuss because we feel a bit awkward or not confident about it, the reality is settled and persuaded atheists are uncommon. They may be grabbing of headlines, but they are uncommon. Take perhaps the most famous UK atheist, Richard Dawkins. Or I have to say, in my experience in discussing with friends who are atheists or in debating with atheists, many of them find Richard Dawkins an embarrassment they don't feel he actually speaks for them. Nevertheless, he is very vocal. In his book, River Out of Eden, he says this of the universe. The universe, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. That, according to Dawkins, is a world without God. Or as he puts it elsewhere, in one of his more romantic moments, he said that love is a manifestation of brain stuff. 
Makes you wonder when he lies in the arms of his wife or the moment when he cradled his newborn daughter on his lap. Was that really a sufficient explanation? Is that really the best way of making sense of life? Some people may well be atheists, but I suspect many people are more agnostic, more like the guy in the video. It's a question I've always asked myself. I'm not really sure. It's strange, though, that our reluctance to discuss the question should be as it is. It's hardly a minority position. It's hardly indefensible intellectually. It's hardly an uninfluential position. Yet ask the do you believe in God question and people suddenly feel uncomfortable. There's a great scene in Nick Hornby's novel, How to Be Good, where the main character, who is Katie and she's a GP, announces to her bewildered family that she intends to go to church. She says, I'm going to church. Does anyone want to come? David and the children look at me with some interest for some time. It's as if having said something eccentric, I might follow this up by doing something eccentric, like stripping naked or running amok with a kitchen knife. Yeah, I'm suddenly glad that it's not my job to convince people that going to church is a perfectly healthy leisure activity. And yet if our reluctance to discuss the question of God is surprising, I think it's probably understandable. Our religion has been and remains a cause of much evil and suffering in the world. You only have to pick up any paper. And yet, and yet, as the writer and novelist Francis Spufford puts it, when I see one of those passionate denunciations of religion, which treats Christianity as the great gratuitous cause of all sorrows, I mainly think... Read more history, mate. Look at the vast record of conflict generated in every society. Do you really think, he asks, that without pernicious Christianity, we'd be all gathered around the white piano with John and Yoko? Yeah, right. The patterns of bad human behavior are far wider and more ancient. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, that remarkable Russian novelist and dissident who endured the gulags under Stalin, said this, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through the center of the human heart. You see, if religion has been the cause of much misery and suffering, and it has, then atheism has hardly established an earthly utopia. Now, take the beautiful country of Cambodia. My wife worked there for a couple of years before we got married. Well, actually, she worked in Thailand. She worked on the Thai-Cambodian border in one of the refugee camps. And the camp was full of the Khmer people, many thousands of Khmer people who had survived the killing fields under the Khmer Rouge. And they had fled that to Thailand. An estimated two million people, quarter of the nation's population, within my lifetime, were murdered as the result of an atheistic and genocidal despot. 
killed by the Khmer Rouge. And yet it was in the cafes and lecture halls of Paris and not Cambodia that Pol Pot learnt the atheistic and Marxist ideology that so decimated his homeland. See, as Jesus Christ put it, whether you're religious or irreligious, whether you would consider yourself a believer in God or not, Jesus says it's actually from within. It's out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Yeah, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, all that kind of stuff, all those evils, Jesus says, they come from within our hearts, and that's what messes us up. And Jesus goes on to explain that it, it's not religion, and it's not morality, it's not some kind of self-improvement exercise or any ideology that can cure the problem of the human heart. The problem is far deeper and it needs a far more radical solution than that. It's an interesting question though, isn't it? Do you, do you believe in God? Or, or more specifically, do you believe in the claims of Jesus Christ to be God? Yeah, the God-man who claimed in history to show us God and to show us the way to God. In my experience, there are some people who answer that question with a settled and a confident and a thoughtful no. They're not persuaded. But actually, in my experience, most people are not that sure. Most people just haven't really got around to thinking about the question very much. There was a great letter in the Telegraph a number of years ago, and it was a letter reflecting on the vagaries of technology, particularly the problems with predictive text. And the letter was this, Dear Sir, I was assisting my 16-year-old daughter with her homework when she received a text from mum which read, what do you want from life? What do you want from life? This was an unexpected and profound question for an exam-sitting teenager. Now, we debated various answers. Wealth, fulfillment, love, all three. Five minutes later, she received a second message blaming predictive text for correcting the word little. What do you want from little? And the truth is, many of us are so busy thinking about what we want from little or equivalent that we really have very little time to stop and think what we want out of life. But sometimes we stop and think. Sometimes there are moments that make you stop and think. Maybe it's, it's the birth of a baby. This tiny life with a character and a personality that will grow. And you wonder, where does this life come from? Or maybe a parent or a spouse or a sibling or even a child dies and you wonder, where did this precious life go? I remember standing by the bedside of both of my parents when they died. Just as I've stood by the graves of many people that I have buried and wondered exactly the same question. Or maybe you joined us for Carols by Candlelight. And there was something of the weight and the wonder and the beauty of Christmas. The possibility that, that maybe, maybe not mere myth, 
but time, space, history event. The God who is really there. Stepping into the world in the person of Jesus. That, that maybe somehow in this dark world a light shines and yet you've never really quite got your head around it. See, if you actually want to get to the point where you're trying to work out what you want from life rather than trying to work out what you want from little, you sort of feel as if you need a word from outside, don't you? A word from outside the world. Someone who can speak into the world to help you make sense of life. I have a friend who lives up in the northeast, and uh, he has an interesting hobby, leisure activity, which I have to say I can't think of anything worse. He goes potholing. The idea of descending underground to some dark, damp, wet cave and, t- and tunnel fills me with horror, but whatever, he enjoys it. And on one occasion, he, he was heading out and was going to meet with some friends, and uh, they didn't turn up. And so, somewhat surprisingly, and in retrospect, somewhat foolishly, he decided to go alone. So he descended down below into these caves and tunnels and began to explore. And uh, he was initially enjoying it as he does, and yet he suddenly had this sort of vague sensation that he was perhaps just a little bit lost. So he decided to retrace his steps. So he went back to the central cave from which a number of tunnels radiated out, and he decided that he was going to be methodical and systematic. So he began with one tunnel and worked his way down. So there was no way out, so he came back back to the central cave, took the next tunnel, worked his way along, got as far as he could and realized there was no way out and came back. And with each tunnel, there was a growing sense of panic that things were not going too well. He tried a couple more tunnels, and eventually he got to the point where the light, his head torch, was actually starting to fade. So he went back to the central cave, sat down, decided he needed to conserve some light energy and switched off his light. He was in pitch blackness. And after a few minutes, he felt over towards his right, there was a sort of sense of the grayness in the middle of the black. And then suddenly, lying on a wet stone, he saw a bright green leaf. And he knew In that moment, there was a word from outside that was to show him how to get out. Now, one of the most famous parts of the Bible, part of the Bible that's often read at carol services, it was read here over Christmas. It comes from the beginning of John's gospel, John's account of Jesus' life. And John speaks of a word from God, a word that was kind of with God and was God, a word that came from the outside into the world stepped into the world in the flesh and blood person of Jesus Christ. John says the word became flesh and lived among us. And as an eyewitness of those historical events, John says we we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. He says no one has ever seen the father But the one and only son who is at the father's side has made him known. It is, of course, the most 
astonishing claim imaginable. That God stepped into history in Jesus and that here we really can make sense of life. In this man's life and his teaching and his death and his resurrection, here the lost can be found. The guilty can be forgiven. Those who are dying can find life. C.S. Lewis, who's probably famous to most people for writing children's stories, of course, was a very eminent man in his field. He was a professor of Renaissance and medieval literature at Cambridge University, and he said of Jesus Christ astonishing claims. If such claims are false, they really are of no importance at all. If they are true, really true, they are of infinite importance. Indeed, the one thing they cannot be is just moderately important. Well, what I'd like us to do is we're going to break for coffee. Um, I hope you can stay around for a cup of coffee. There's going to be an opportunity to ask questions. You've got a little card. Uh, if you prefer to write a question down rather than ask a question from the floor, that's great. Uh, Lewis and Steffi are going to sing just whilst we grab a coffee. There's a little box over there you can put the questions in. Uh, and then we'll have an opportunity to try and answer, to try and answer these questions. And we may take some more from the floor. And we'll finish uh, promptly before 9.15. So uh, do enjoy listening to Steffi and Lewis. Uh, do grab a cup of tea. Uh, do scribble any questions you've got on a card.